So, on the topic of patience, the quote that I made earlier today from the Gospel of Thomas. If you bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth that which is within you, then that which is within you will destroy you. This is where the use of our energy is to understand that there are poisons swirling within us that have crept in from various ways of not holding our experiences in a healthy way. And if we don't extirpate, extract, evict, evacuate those poisons, then they will destroy us. Physically, we are weakened, we become ill, contracted, bent, dented, so to speak, disabled by life's experiences, through anger, through ill will, through inner violence. We violate ourselves, and that, that's a poisonous energy, it's a poisonous current. So, to somehow extract that before it does destroy us. And it can come from traumas, former lifetimes, traumas in this life. It's unknown. We don't have to know how they got there, we just have to see what is there and remove it, heal quickly by knowing, acknowledging, forgiving, having compassion for ourselves and whatever conditions arose that brought that forth or brought that to be. And then we slowly, slowly, by seeing, knowing, we bring that out. Just as in the Hermitage we have these live traps and whatever biting insects invade our space, we gently catch them and remove them and put them outdoors where they can do no harm. So we're harming ourselves by not life-trapping them. If we don't feed them, we withdraw our support from them and they can no longer bite, sting, injure, and debilitate us on the path. So now, Kanti is the Pali for patience. And just like these other perfections or qualities, noble qualities of a Dhamma warrior, Kanti is an amalgamation of these other perfections, of these other beautiful ways of being with ourselves and others. So, patience and patient endurance. This is one of the great strengths of a double warrior. It cannot be underestimated. If we are in a situation where we're not getting what we want, or we're getting what we want, but it's disappearing, and we see the impermanence of it. And if things are not going our way, if someone is sick, if we're sick, if someone is dying, if we are dying, if the body is breaking down, if a loved one has betrayed us, 
there are so many situations where we could react badly. And one of the main functions of patience is to give us pause. We talked about the pressing the pause button, how important that is, before we choose, before we put forth energy, before we invest in a particular direction in life. And this quality of patience is a, a, a reminder, if we want to develop this, it reminds us to just wait. Wait until, as long as we can, in, in unsure situations, if we have any doubts, just wait and contemplate what is happening, what is our role, what are the choices, what would someone we revere do in such a situation. I often call upon my teachers and parents and people I, I revere and have inspired me when I'm not sure how to choose what would be the best choice. Or when something is going on in the heart, difficult to resolve, and patience is not coming easily. I, I call on that quality. May I be patient. May I be able to sit with this. Sit and turn it over in the heart. Knead it like a bread and let it rise slowly and reveal to me what is the best course of action. Or may my ability to stop and call on, on the wise ones or on a wise teaching. I look in the suttas, I look through my favorite quotes to inspire me and to give me fortitude to face difficult situations. There are so many times when we need to be patient and we, we can't, we rush in. And then later we may regret that. It is said that the path, the Noble Eightfold Path, the path of practice, is paved with this quality of patience at every step. We have to be patient with our ability or inability with our understanding or not understanding, with the intensity of our pain or the inability to carry it, our sense of can't take it anymore. So patience in the heart, patient with our impatience, can be patient with our level of jumping into things or our inability to tolerate other people's imperfections. We don't look at our own, but we're very quick to judge others. And what we dislike in ourselves, we will intensely dislike in anyone else. Because they're a mirror for us. They trigger. They will trigger. We see what on the outside what we fail to look at on the inside. And that, that can be a real strong trigger. So to be patient, to forgive, to notice and very carefully, to be extremely mindful and generous when other people are not patient with us. 
to make allowances for that. Because we know how difficult it is to stop and consider what is the best thing to say or do. Maybe say nothing. Maybe do nothing. Sometimes silence is an answer when someone asks you a question. Sometimes silence is a better answer. Sometimes when we see something that we can't tolerate and we can't speak about it, if we're patient enough, we can just be silent. But there are times when our silence is uh, compliant. It's almost like we're agreeing with what's being done, even if it's wrong. So we have to be very discerning how much we want to put up with in others. And when is appropriate to draw a line? How strongly to set the boundary to prevent other people from acting unskillfully towards us. Learning to set boundaries and doing so with compassion, not violently. When we're in a car traveling somewhere and other people like, trail very close behind us, you're compelled to slow down, maybe to an unsafe speed, to let them pass, and they may do so in a very unskillful way, nearly causing an accident. It's really hard to be patient. You wish that, where are the police? Why aren't they witnessing this? We had a very bad accident right outside the Hermitage on Highway 7 a couple of weeks ago, fatal. 72-year-old woman. There's a blind spot when you're looking to pull into the highway and she didn't see the big trailer truck. It came and just ran her over. When we hear those sirens, we know that something has happened very bad. There's nothing we can do, but the, the road is a real test of patience. Especially we know that People are uh, sometimes driving intoxicated or texting, texting, not paying attention. So in general, everyday life, if we're not paying attention to what we're doing, then we can get into a really bad accident. I don't mean in a car. I mean just because we're not being mindful of what the situation is calling for is asking of us. We misread signals. We miss opportunities to be kind, to be gentle, to be generous, to be wise. We miss a lot of opportunities to be patient. So it's a very broad spectrum of practice that encompasses all these other qualities they work together like a team. They work in, in tandem, some more, some less, and they're to be consummated. But perfection is a process, so we don't become perfect just by wanting it. But by 
slowly, slowly purifying, maturing, evolving on the path. A whole lifetime or lifetimes, it doesn't matter how long it takes, but it matters that we persevere. Even in small measure, little by little, moment by moment, drop by drop, we can grow a great tree. They see the trees on this property. They're really quite spectacular. But the most spectacular tree I ever saw was in New Zealand, in the Northland. And it's a very famous cowrie tree called Taninota. While I was living there, I went to visit it with one of my supporters. And there's a grove of them, but there's the one, the biggest. It's over 2,000 years old. And then you have to walk out to get to it. When you reach it, there are people standing there weeping. It's just inconceivable that there is a tree so large. They're very, very protective of this. It's a national treasure. When I stood beneath it, what came to me was chanting, like standing in front of a Buddha Rupa. It felt like a shrine, a very sacred ground. Just to stand there and to feel the energy of that beautiful tree. Staying there for a while and just breathing next to it. And so sometimes to get the sense of a situation, we have to do that. We have to think we're being given a sacred opportunity. And the best way to be with that, even a, a very challenging momentum that's coming towards us, we have to sit with that and breathe with it, as if we were sitting beneath this magnificent product of the earth. Many of these trees were logged for sailing ships over the centuries. Uh, that's what we're doing to this planet. But let us not do that to our hearts. If we practice this patience, then we soar beyond all conditions and stand free, tall, and powerful like that tree within the world, in the midst of the world, with all the obstacles that life presents us swirling around. If we stand still wherever we are with this quality of kanti, then we can see more clearly, tower above these things and recognize it's all impermanent. It's suffering because of that. It's unsatisfactory. Whatever is changing and changing and changing, how can it be? satisfactory, because its nature is to disappear or to change. We can't control it in any way. And in that we have the insight that there is no one there, no, no one here to attach to it. So being attached to conditions, being a certain way, does not serve our waking up, our enlightenment, our understanding, our wisdom. 
So we can be patient with conditions, knowing that this patience quality helps us to rise above obstacles and develop strength in their face. Like weathering a storm. Weathering. Being with what is difficult. Not being toppled by it. Not being chopped down and cut into pieces. This is the metaphor in the Sutta in the Chronicles. Just as the great earth accepts or bears even the most disgusting things, so perfect patience consists in accepting slander and every dishonor without resistance, enduring and letting them pass. Well, that would be very, very difficult to endure slander and dishonor. When I was a young woman, I worked with the elderly and I visited nursing homes where older people were abandoned by their family, never visited by their family. Whenever I came, some of them who had dementia would look at me and say, are you my daughter? They would tell me that I was their relative. And, and I would say, no, just a friend coming to say hi. They just wanted to be visited, to be cared for, to be attended to. How difficult it is to be able to bring up that patient endurance, to forbear with that kind of treatment. And yet, if we can forgive mistreatment, it's an act of incredible generosity. And in fact, it's a way of protecting ourselves from the poison of stinginess, from a miserly mind. If we return miserliness with generosity, then we have won a spiritual victory there. We are true disciples, true warriors on this path. And we've protected ourselves from the poison of other people's delusion and unskillfulness. There are so many opportunities in life to do that, but we have to train ourselves to do it because uh, the knee-jerk reaction, of course, is to be critical or to lash back. But this is a, an ignorance. It's not a brave, not a heroic mind state, not one of the perfections to bear ill will to anyone for any reason. To expunge ill will completely from the heart is a quality of the anagamis, third stage of enlightenment. Imagine never getting angry at anyone. To be free of ill will. And to be fearless, not to be frightened by anyone's actions. So that way we can consummate this quality of patience, patient forbearance, compassion and understanding. No one acts towards another to harm them by body, speech or mind unless they're suffering, unless they're ignorant. 
unless their minds are untrained. So we can have compassion because we see this is coming and it may also have some karmic implications. Maybe we have done some terrible deeds in a past life and this is the result. But even so, re returning, retorting with harmful speech, action or even thoughts just perpetuates the cycle of harm. It does not heal. It does not bring joy, happiness and well-being to anyone. I'm sure there may be questions coming up in your minds because the world is boiling with various situations, uh, various conflicts. It is a place of conflict. Conflict, violence, uh, all kinds of power plays. Even children. I say even children. <laughs> children. I, I, I remember being bullied as a little kid. And I was easy to bully. It was so painful. And I didn't know how to respond. I just caved in. Then you hold that. And you learn how to be bullied. So people keep doing it. Because you kind of offer yourself up as a victim. Well, that's not skillful either. We don't realize that we're doing something to invite that kind of behavior. So, if we had good guidance, we would be instructed to somehow skillfully stand up to that. We have to examine the ways in which we encourage others to mistreat or abuse goodness. And if they do, without uh, our, any incentive from us, but just because they know oh, they're compassionate Buddhists, just keep practicing kindness and forgiveness, even in the face of slander, dishonor, abuse, and not to allow it to the best of one's ability. I remember once it was in the farmer's market. We were standing for alms, as we do. We go on Saturday mornings to stand for alms with our bowls. And people have gotten to know us. And the people in the community are very kind. They're incredibly generous. But occasionally, somebody comes up and, and will speak in an even vitriolic way. And it's usually a religiously invoked complaint. We were once accused of having no right to stand there. And as gently as I could, I said, well, actually we've been given permission to stand here. Okay, then the speech that we got back became even more violent. And we just stood and kept quiet and tried to listen without reacting. But I found it so challenging. And afterwards, when she finally left in disgust, I remember standing there feeling the impact of those words, like fire. Almost like we'd been, someone had fired us with pellets. Because it was so strong. And we're sensitive. We're human beings, we're very sensitive creatures. And just to stand there and take it, knowing that to say anything would have just 
spurred more reactivity in, in this person. So we can't stop the world from being the way it is. And of course, we had, were dressed like this. It's frightening to some people because they don't, they don't really know what we are. So they're reacting from fear. And then not to blame that person, just to know that she couldn't see the goodness. That was a loss. We are trying to live a good life and practice ways that are wholesome and to bless and to be grateful, to be generous, to receive generosity, not to mistreat. But to be mistreated when you do that, it just feels wrong. We could get very righteous, but that's not healthy and that's, that's not the way of the noble ones. So to be patient in the face of that kind of treatment afterwards, it made a big impression on us what a heat the body takes to receive that. And then how, how do we cool that? We had to consciously forgive, consciously realize someone who could not understand was too frightened. And then the very next person that came along was even more spectacularly generous. That's the mixture in this world is there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of goodness, there's a lot of hostility and there's a lot of kindness. And when we stand there in the market we see the whole panoply of human life coming past and people we've never met, people that don't know anything about Buddhism come up to us and say, I'm so glad you're here. And it's very mystifying. How do they know? Because <laughs> they, I don't know how they know. We don't get to find out. We just get the lettuce or the pumpkin or whatever that they offer. And the little boy, he used to come, he'd take his allowance and buy us cookies and reach up with his little hand, this tiny kid go like this first, because he saw other people doing it. So he copied. Then he put the cookies. Just such generosity in a five-year-old, spontaneously giving to these strange-looking women wearing sheets. <laughs> well, he doesn't know what they are. Yeah. So, uh, Friendship with that which is lovely. This is what patience brings forth. Friendship with that which is lovely. Even in the face of that which is not lovely, we are sustaining friendship with that which is lovely. And that's the Buddha's summons, call to us. We are friends with beautiful qualities of the heart. And we know that they're possible. We try it out. If we've never done it before, try it out. Trying it out is called practice. You try it out, you see the result, and you see that it works. You don't feel... If, I, if we had shouted back at that woman, first of all, I would have violated my precepts. 
And secondly, I would feel miserable inside because that's not how a daughter of the Buddha would behave. So, no, we are not, we have to restrain. Restraint is our modus operandi, that's an every day, every moment. We, we are training ourselves to restrain. So patience calls on restraint and renunciation to be able to consummate it. If we have restraint and we're able to give up what we want or what we think we should be getting or what we think should happen or all of those shoulds and desires and expectations of life, we give them up and we receive that which is happening. That receptivity gives us the ability to be really flexible, adaptable, malleable. You need that kind of a mind to bring forth virtue in the face of non-virtue, bring forth generosity in the face of greed, bring forth loving-kindness in the face of animosity, bring forth energy when you feel discouraged, downhearted, bring forth stability when the situation is, is so volatile and on fire to be stable, not restless, not terrified, not cowering, not intimidated, not reviled, but receptive, open, wise, considerate, compassionate. These are incredibly powerful qualities and they take a lot of patience to develop whole lifetime just doing that. And we have to trust that we can do it. So we try it out. If it doesn't quite work, we try it out again because we know that it can have very wholesome effects on the heart, on, on the way we develop, the way we grow in the Dhamma, the way we enable the perfections within us so that our meditation will bring us the fruit that we long for. And the fruit is that peace, that inner tranquility, that ocean of a joyful space, a, a base of understanding and openness. So the heart is not clenched in any way. It's, it's open and equanimous with conditions then whoever comes to us, we can receive them. Some people come and we receive them, but we don't let them stay because they don't belong. They shouldn't be with nuns. So we give them a cup of tea or I sit with them on the front porch or look at the spruce tree. I ask them a lot of questions and then I, I tell them that they should go try the Gwenka Center. Thank them for their visit and show them the gate. And these things happen. We, we have to be very discerning of who we allow in our sphere of activity because these unwholesome qualities are infectious. And if you have friends who are not on a spiritual path and who cut corners, don't pay their taxes, or do other things that are unethical or unkind or not inspiring, 
and not pleasant to be around, then don't associate with them. This is the Buddha's instruction. Keep the company of the wise. Because their way of doing and way of being will affect our way of being. It's a contagion. It's a sickness. It's a mental unwellness. And it spreads. And you could see how a leader of a country, a company, a monastery, can infect all the goodness that may be there and encourage people to take up wrong ways of doing things. And then wreck the faith that people have in, in those systems. So for our own benefit and for the benefit of others, for the, for the long-lasting benefit of many beings, we keep turning the wheel of this Dhamma by trying out these skillful means to mature in our moral conduct, speech, and thought, in the maturing of our minds, to be like, like an ocean, like a well, a spring, a natural spring of goodness out of which comes a great joy, an unworldly joy. It's a joy that heralds the unfolding of the Eightfold Noble Path. It brings it forth, because out of that joy can come true metta, true compassion, great forgiveness, and true peace. So those are the blessings we long to support. And we give our hearts to that. Patient forbearance is one of those qualities, and there are far more. So such is truth, and of course truth, it's vital, it's essential for maturing in the heart. And aditana is resolve. Resolve, resolution, determination. That that really will be the precursor of our effort and energy. We have to first want that. So we have resolve. And last to our loving kindness, which we've spoken about a little bit, and equanimity, the culmination. Because an equanimous mind is the landing place, the arising place of Nibbana in the heart makes me think of that cowrie tree reaching up into the heavens. Thank you for listening. <laughs>